0: Bible reading this morning is a very intriguing story from the life of Jesus when he was here on earth and it's recorded in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke and we're reading Luke's version this morning from Luke chapter 5 verses 17 to 26 One day he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd... They went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow? Who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is God's word.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, A few years ago, back 2007, Cathy and I were in Rome, and Rome's just the most amazing city, and we had a wonderful time there, if you've been there. Anyway, we saw these guys, and they were standing on corners, and they were beautifully dressed. I think we've got a picture of them. They really were we saw them standing on, on street corners, and you kind of think, what are they doing? And uh, more often than not, they'd be standing there, and they'd have like a cigarette, you know, looking very stylish with their cigarette, and there would be, uh, you know, a little, maybe a group of four or five, very young, very attractive women coming to talk to them. And we thought, who are these people? Do you know who they are? They're the police. They're actually the feds. Our just wear all black. This is how Italian federal police, national police dress. Seriously, that's stunning, right? They wear the white things to show that they're on duty. That means they're actually on duty. But, and, and they all looked about as busy as that, like seriously. Uh, the only thing missing is the girls and the cigarettes. So. But it made me think that in Australia, I think part of our culture is that we don't like authority. But perhaps if our police or our politicians dress better, <laughs> would that work? Do you think? No, definitely says Kathy. Anyway, yeah, uh, but but I am speaking about authority uh, this morning, and I think it's an interesting one for us to talk about when we talk about a- attractive, being attractive as Christians and stuff, because I think our inherent stance as Australians is to actually be dismissive or actually just downright demeaning about authority. You know, like even our Prime Minister, you know, we give him a nickname, Scomo. That's not a very you know honouring title, is it? And and perhaps it's from our convict past that we just have this chip on our shoulders when it comes to people in authority. We certainly don't like people who exercise authority in a way that we take offence at, abusive or just controlling or anything like that. So it may come out with that. I think people may, you know, in Australia who come from countries where authority is exercised really badly, uh, where there's corruption in politicians or corruption in, our, uh, you know, in, the, in the police force or something like that. They come with this hesitation. There is certainly in some cultural groupings within our society they will not talk to the police. For them it's like you don't do that because you can't trust them. But I think even for a lot of Australians we have this cynicism because we, we see politicians who use our money for their own purposes. It's kind of like we elect them to power and we expect that they will govern for the greater good. Not just in marginal seats, right? They won't just hand out money to places where they want some political advantage. We expect, no, no, you will make decisions for the good of all Australia. And it feels like it doesn't matter what what political party we put into power, there's just this inherent thing within us as humanity that we will use our authority for our own gain. And even within Christian circles... This is the case, the whole thing about spiritual authority. And I, and I do want to talk about spiritual authority. But again, I think we push back against authority because we've seen spiritual authority used badly. The whole Royal Commission uh, showed that those who were in authority were the ones who, who, who covered up. In some cases were the perpetrators, but, but in often they used their power to basically suppress the truth. And so there's this cynicism that comes from that. And I think for some of us, the last couple of years have been just terrible in terms of church leadership. There's been two incredibly influential global networks where, one of them a couple of years ago, the leader stood down. But, but part of that was just the allegations that came out. You know, Someone who was held in such high regard uh, and yet used the authority and the spiritual power he had to basically to abuse um, and allegedly sexually sexually assault a number of people who worked for him uh, and then just in the past two weeks one of the uh, i think probably the largest church planning organization in the moment fired at ceo because of bullying intimidation and this is the second person who's lost there's this, this culture that, that even among christians put people in authority and we just have this fear that they're going to use it badly i want to talk about this because Despite our hesitations when it comes to authority, including spiritual authority, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus Christ exercised a spiritual authority and it actually drew people to him. It's not just that he had it, but he exercised it in such a way that it actually drew people to himself. And I want to have a look at his spiritual authority and I want to talk about what are the implications of that for us. Does that make sense? All right, let me pray. Uh, because father as we talk about this topic lord we want to we want to be encouraged and challenged and by the way in which jesus lived Uh, we are so aware of the failings of humans in exercising authority but we don't want to be cynical we don't want to be dismissive lord we want to be open to what you want to say to us through your holy spirit this morning and two, if there's something that, that you want to encourage or challenge us about, we want to be open to that. So Father, just help us lay aside perhaps previous bad experiences or just these hesitations we have and just allow your word and your spirit to speak deeply to us this morning. Amen. Firstly, welcome Audrey. Audrey's one of our missionaries, Audrey Chan. She's just dropped in this morning because she's in Australia for a few days. Lovely to, <laughs> lovely to see you. What I'd love for you to do is, is get in groups of just maybe three or four and I want you to I want you to think of three ways in which Jesus exercised spiritual authority. You've got one minute, just little groups, find three ways that Jesus exercised spiritual authority. Go. All right, that shouldn't take too long, hopefully. All right, just a little bit of feedback, just really short answers. Throw your hand up, going to be the easiest way. Uh, describe away, Brahman. Yeah, exercise authority over demons, good. Yes, healing, absolutely, so authority over sickness, David. Come follow me, so he has this authority over people. Sin? Okay, didn't see your hand, but I heard you. Graham? Yeah, so the natural elements. There was wind and waves. Anybody have any other aspects of creation that he exercised control over? Multiplying food. Fish. He can make fish swim into nets. How cool is that? (laughs) And he can speak to fig trees and they wither. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anything else that he exercised? Audrey? Sorry? He He did, he raised the dead. So he exercises authority over death. Good. Any others? Where? Sorry. His preaching, so he had authority in his preaching. Perfect. Let me just give you this list of the eight ones that I can find in the scripture. But first I'm going to read to you a passage, that one. So this this has a couple in them. So Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Thank you, Ruth. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon and impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and they said to each other what words these are. With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news around, uh, about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Thank you, Bronwyn, for the demon's one. All right, so here are, here are eight. I just want to run through them quickly. first one is teaching. So he exercised authority in his teaching. That was recognised. He had authority to command evil spirits, the works of Satan. He had the authority to forgive sin. And that was the passage that Doug read earlier to us. He has the authority to forgive sin. And in a sense, that's a bit of a foretaste of the cross. Jesus has authority over sin, not only to forgive sin, but to actually conquer the power of sin, which he does at the cross. And so Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has authority to heal and to restore over sickness, disease, infirmity. That was part of the story that was read out this morning as well. He has authority over death. We know that he raised Lazarus. We know that he raised other people from the dead. And again, it's a looking forward to his own resurrection. So Jesus not only has authority over sin, but he also has authority over death. And Jesus has authority over the law and traditions. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the law. But I say to you. So he claims an authority over the law. Uh, He claims uh, authority over the Sabbath when he breaks the Sabbath. Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus is, right? Uh, And he also claims authority over the temple when he clears it out. You know what he says then? He says, my father's house. He claims authority over the temple. My father's house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. Uh, so he claims authority over that, and he also claims authority over people. Thank you, David. So follow me, and they do. And he also has authority over creation, the wind, the waves. Ah, oh, the other thing. So the wind and the waves, but then he, he can turn water into wine, and then he can turn water into a hard substance to walk on. Like, this is amazing, right? And then there's the fish and the fig trees. So the question we have to ask is, where does this authority come from? And I think... Yeah, absolutely, Lois looks to the sky, it does, there's a a heavenly aspect to this. Identity is a really big part of this And, and, uh, and, and as I speak this morning I want us to understand that authority comes from identity. So the authority of Jesus comes from his identity as the divine son of God. His spiritual authority declared who he was and we need to remember who Jesus was and is fully human and fully God. We can't separate those two things. Jesus is fully human and fully God, and his spiritual authority comes from that. He's flesh and blood like us, but he is also divine. Now, among the Jewish people, there were teachers, and I'm sure there were some great teachers among the Jewish people. Among the Jewish people, there were also those who would cast out demons, exorcists, and again, some of them were probably quite effective. But Jesus was unique. There was something about Jesus that differentiated him from the Jewish teachers. There was something about Jesus that differentiated him from the Jewish exorcists. They had never seen anyone with such spiritual authority, hence the amazement. He taught like no other, he healed like no other, he cast out demons like no other. Because what was different is that, particularly for the exorcisms or the healing, there was a, a series of elaborate rituals. There were words that were designated that had to be said, there were actions that went along with it, and so there was a whole a lot of things that went into the whole process of casting out a demon or bringing about healing. Jesus says, go away. He says to the demons, go away. That's it. And the demon comes and goes. Like it's, it's not a, you know, working up a sweat, sort of falling exhausted on the ground. He says, go. And this is what amazed people. There was a uniqueness about his power, about his spiritual authority that people had not seen before. His authority declared, his authority was a sign, and in the book of John, he calls them signs, the miracles, that God had come to his people. And, and so... Where does the authority, where does Jesus' spiritually come from? It actually comes from his very identity as the divine son of God. Flesh and blood like us, but also divine. And this is seen really in that some of the authority that Jesus exercised, um, it was clearly understood by the Jewish people theologically that only God could do this. So there are some spiritual authority that that we as people could exercise, but there are some things that only God could do. And so Jesus... And again, in the passage that Doug read to us, there's this question that that is raised. When Jesus pronounces forgiveness, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can, can forgive a sin against God if, if not... like Only God can do that. Who has authority over creation? The Creator. This was the understanding that only the Creator has authority over creation. So when... Jesus makes fish swim into Peter's net. This is in Luke 5, you know, I don't want to do it, Jesus, but you say so. You remember what Peter's response is? He falls on his knees before Jesus. And what does he tell Jesus? I love you, Lord, you are so amazing. What does he tell Jesus to do? Go away. Go away. I'm a sinful man. He realises that he is in the presence of, of not just a man. There is something because Jesus has been able to order creation ordered creation, that Peter is overwhelmed with this sense of, I am in the presence of someone divine. Go away, go away, I'm a sinful man. Jesus is in the boat with, uh, with his disciples having a lovely little sleep. There's a storm going. And Jesus says, oh, wake up. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and they just go, what, what do the disciples do? Do they go, woo you rock, Jesus, you're amazing. Can we do that again? Can we just whip up a storm and just, who is this man? Seriously, who we're in a boat with this guy, what the heck do we do? There is a sense in which they are overwhelmed by the presence of this man in the boat with them. They understand that they're in the presence of God because only God can order creation. Jesus' spiritual authority cannot be separated from his unique identity as the divine Son of God. But I also want to say that Jesus' spiritual authority was also given to him, in a sense, by those who heard him and those who saw him. You know, authority isn't just something that exists within us. It's something that is given to us by other people. If we think we have authority but people pay us no respect, eh, you know. So what? You've got a uniform. Good luck. But there was... was authority given to him because of the manner in which he exercised his authority. It was no big deal. He just spoke about it. Um, there was a humility and a gentleness and a compassion that went with Jesus' authority. And we see this in the Scriptures. He did not make a big thing of himself. When he taught, I don't think, he, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't like yelling preachers. Like, seriously, this is. I think we've gone back into a bit of a, a trend, in particularly in the US, of pastors yelling a lot. And it's kind of like, who likes being yelled at? I don't like being yelled at. Don't yell at me. Get excited, that's fine, but don't yell at me. All right? Yelling doesn't make your point any stronger. It's just like I switch off. Anyway, so Jesus, I, you don't read Jesus yelling at people. He, like, he's like, he didn't need to. There was a spiritual authority to his words. He didn't need to yell. He didn't need a big thing about it. Um, he didn't want to, in a sense, he didn't even make a big thing of himself. He pointed people to the kingdom. He didn't use his spiritual authority to make himself rich or famous. In fact, when the crowds wanted to make him king, he withdrew. He got away from them. There's this passage towards the end of the book of Matthew. And by this stage, the disciples have a pretty cool idea of who Jesus is. And they're very excited by this. It's kind of like, oh, we're hanging out with someone who's divine. Guess what? We We are set for the kingdom. And so they have this argument about who's going to get the best spots in the kingdom. And Jesus catches wind of this. And he's kind of like, oh, here we go again. So he says these words... Jesus called them together and he said, "Look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles." lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so this is just a beautiful passage that speaks about how jesus exercises his authority with humility and with gentleness and with compassion I just want to say, though, that not everyone recognised his spiritual authority because Jesus' spiritual authority bumped up against other people's authority. Those who had political authority, those who had uh, religious authority, they were threatened by Jesus' spiritual authority. And so even with the beautiful way that Jesus exercised his spiritual authority because it was a threat to those who exercised political and religious authority in a very worldly way. Um, there was certainly pushback from that. Um, he was accused uh, of being in league with Satan for casting out demons. That's just weird, right? He, he was often questioned, by whose authority do you do this? By whose authority? And he would, he would talk about his father or he would just give them a cryptic answer. Some people were fascinated by his authority, but it was almost like a little sideshow. It was like this thing that went on that was like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, And so in John chapter 6, there's this incredible little story that that sort of uh, unwinds. Jesus crosses the shore of Galilee, and a great crowd of people follow him. And they follow him because they saw the signs that he performed. So there's this fascination aspect to it. And they're just called the crowd. They followed him because they were fascinated by what he did. So they were, they were fed. They were part of the group that had been fed. And, and they come to him again. They say, give us bread. It's kind of like, you know that thing you did the other day? We're hungry again, right? Can you, can you give us some more bread? And he doesn't. And, and he gets into this discussion with them. And by the end of chapter 6, most of them have left him. And, and so the response to his spiritual authority was like, ooh, this guy's cool. I want to hang out with him. Good things for me. Free bread. Um, and that can be a response sometimes, that people see spiritual authority and they just want to be hangers-on. But as we read the Gospels, we also know that there are these responses of faith and belief, and that's certainly the case with Peter. Peter, the fish come into the net, he falls on his knees saying, go away, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, come on, follow me. Okay, okay, I'll do that. So what about for us? How does this affect us? If we are called to be salt and light, uh, what spiritual authority do we have? And I think there's a range of answers to this, uh, and there would be in this room. And often it's dependent upon, I believe, our understanding of Jesus. Now, Jesus as I said, I think just some basic theology here. Jesus was both human and divine. We cannot separate those two things. Jesus was human and divine. But often we tend to emphasize one above the other. And we don't mean to because it's just hard to hold those two things together. Now most of my experience in Baptist churches and other similar evangelical churches is that we put a lot of emphasis on the lordship of jesus christ so i'm going to stand over here on the lordship of jesus christ the majesty of jesus christ the exalted nature of jesus christ that features in our worship it features in our teaching it's the way we describe our church you know jesus christ is, is lord of this church and, and that's all true right i hope you don't disagree with that That's a really important part of the nature of Jesus Christ. He is. He is high and he is exalted. He is above all. He created all. This is who we know who Jesus Christ is. But the problem sometimes with having this view without remembering that Jesus was human is that we place him at a distance. So Jesus becomes this figure who's like way, way over there because he's so high and he's so exalted And me, I'm just a worthless sinner. I'm a worm. So therefore, Jesus and I can't have anything to do with each other. And in our head, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, I know I'm meant to be like Jesus. Uh, It's never going to happen, right? Jesus is so far, far, far away from me. I'm just this dirty, rotten sinner. And so we we, we can take that understanding of Jesus. uh, And that then tends to influence the way we understand our spiritual authority. And so the danger is that we leave all the spiritual authority to Jesus and maybe his apostles because they spent time with the real Jesus, the one like really close to him whereas our Jesus is a long way away so we shouldn't expect to have any spiritual authority. Uh, And so we read passages like Luke 9 and Luke 10 which we've read over the last few weeks where Jesus sends out the 12, sends out the, the 72 and they're given authority to to teach about the kingdom and the authority to uh, cast out demons and heal people, and we kind of go, yeah, but that was back then. Right? And they were really close to Jesus so they probably caught something off him which meant that they could do that. They got like a direct word from him so they could do that. But our Jesus, he's, that, he's, he's way, way, way far away so I can't do that. And the result is that we abandon any sense of spiritual authority we may have. You, you understand what I mean by that? If you've grown up in an evangelical church you should understand exactly what I mean and possibly be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. So we abandon any sense of spiritual authority. So in reaction to that... There was a movement that started up well over 100 years ago and they looked at the church and they said, where is the life in the church? Where is the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit in the church? Uh, And so the Pentecostal movement brought a different flavour to our understanding of the authority of Jesus. And they say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is divine, but we've got to understand that Jesus was also human. And so we're human, Jesus was human, and so all of the authority that Jesus has, we can potentially have as well. So when Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, well, guess what people? All authority in heaven and earth has therefore been given to us because Jesus lives within us. And So so it's a very different understanding of spiritual authority. Is that making sense? So the danger uh, with that is some of the theology that has developed um, around that. You know, there's parts of the Bible that are picked up and so where Jesus says, I tell you the things that I did, you're going to do, and even more. So there's this sense of like, okay, well, Jesus had spiritual authority to do all these things. We're going to do that whole list of eight and we're going to do even more than that. So we've got a list of maybe 28 or something like that. And it developed, uh, some of the theology around it develops such that, well, when Jesus was on earth, he was exactly as we were, exactly like we were. Jesus was just a human filled with the Spirit of God. And so the teaching is that in a sense Jesus has laid aside his divinity for his time on earth, that Jesus only operated as a a human filled with the Spirit of God. Guess what? You and I are humans filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, everything that Jesus did we should be able to do and more. And, and like, I mean, I, I go to different conferences and I love hearing them. I do remember one sticks in my mind. You may have heard me say this one before, but he, you know, the, the preacher was talking about this. And, and I love his heart because he wanted to exercise spiritual authority, he wanted to step into the void that a lot of the evangelical churches created without lack of spiritual authority. And he said, you know, Jesus walked on water. I'm going to drive my four-wheel drive across the water. And that's what he was praying for because he had this incredible heart to actually exercise spiritual authority. Now, he did yell a lot and did sound a little bit like, you know, I've got a four-wheel drive, I want that to be across the water. But but nonetheless, the heart was good and you understand where it's coming from. It's this reaction. So in reaction to this, guess what we do? We go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 no. It's much safer over here because I don't want to be hanging out with guys who want to drive four-wheel drives across the water, right? <laughs> I'm quite happy just saying Jesus is Lord and just happy to trust him. To do it, so so we really need to understand this, and we need to understand where we place ourselves, because the, the the question is, what for us we need to understand our identity, and I think this is the key when it comes to spiritual authority. We need to understand our spiritual identity. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. You understand this? We are in Christ. Christ in us. We in Him. Understanding spiritual authority identity is key spiritually. Spiritual authority rests in that identity. Understanding that whilst we are not divine, the Spirit of Christ lives within us. Understanding that we are ambassadors of Christ, right? Ambassadors carry spiritual authority. Well, ambassadors of Christ carry spiritual authority. Ambassadors, in a political sense, carry political authority. We understand that we are called ambassadors of Christ. The difference is that we have spiritual authority, not on our own as Jesus did, but we have spiritual authority in his name. And so we see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gives a sermon with such authority, 3,000 people respond to faith. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple. A beggar comes up to them, he's lame, and he asks them for money. He says, Lame, I got no gold, I got no silver. Seriously, I don't have anything on me, but I got this one thing I got Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, why don't you get up and walk? And the guy does, goes, you know, running and leaping and praising God all over the place. And so there's this incredible spiritual authority exercised in the name of Jesus. Uh, because of that, in Acts chapter 4, they're hauled before the religious leaders and they're asked, Why, by what power did you do that? And they give the answer, we did this in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and their response is in Acts, towards the end of Acts chapter 4, they let them go and Peter and John go back to the followers and they pray so fervently that the place is shaken Our spiritual authority is found in our identity, that we are in Christ. Christ in us, we are in him. We are ambassadors of his. We exercise spiritual authority in his name. I just want to finish with three encouragements. The first is this. Know the spiritual authority that you have from being in Christ. If you know your identity, understand that there is a spiritual authority that comes from your identity in Christ. My second encouragement is this. Live it out. Live in that spiritual authority. Just touching back to, to Trav's sermon from last week, genuine relationship with God is the key. You cannot live in spiritual authority without a genuine relationship with God. Like if you try and cast out demons like these dudes did in, in the you know the book of Acts, you know, you're just gonna get it back, like the demon said. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who the heck are you? And they beat him up. There's a sense in which we live out our spiritual authority in a genuine relationship with God. We are connected to the vine um, because without him we can do nothing. We need to feed on God's word. We need to grow deeper in prayer and in worship and we need to use the spiritual gifts that have been given. Uh, The thing that's really struck me as I've worked on this sermon over this past week is just the place of prayer in this. I think often our prayers reflect our sense of spiritual authority and sometimes we pray kind of hopeful flares you know god if you're there would you do something about this sometimes we describe to him what's going on in the world in case like he doesn't know or hasn't seen it or whatever but we actually don't pray with authority for god to be at work in that prayer is such an important part of it and i think spiritual gifts are as well when we actually use our spiritual gifts with an understanding of the spiritual authority that comes with that for those who have a a teaching gift you see the authority that comes with that as they teach uh you know yesterday just the feedback coming back from the women's retreat you know both with cole and with ruth and just the authority with which they spoke it's an exercise of their gift in exercising their gift there's a spiritual authority that comes with that Uh, wednesday night as david was was speaking and actually demonstrating prophecy you can see. See that, that gift within him at work uh, and there's, a, there's an authority that comes through as that gift is being used. I, I look, I, I know others in the life of the church just with the gift of discernment and as they pray for people, as they discern what God is saying, there is just an authority that comes as they do it. It's just this gentle authority uh, that comes through. Uh, and so whatever your gift is, uh, you know, I, I, I love it when Frank prays for me because he always has such incredible faith. Like He, he has his gift of faith. Uh, and so when Frank prays for anyone, it's not like a, you know, Lord, if, Lord, you know, maybe this could happen. And he doesn't tell God what, you know, is happening in the world. He actually just prays with faith that God would be at work. He prays this in Jesus' name. He's not trying to say, you know, look, you know, it's Frank here, you know, come on, this is you know, but in Jesus' name, he asks for God to be at work. You see, there is a way of exercising spiritual authority that understands our identity, that we are in Christ. We are his ambassadors and we can ask for a whole lot more in his name than I think we do. And we try and exercise our spiritual gifts. If we try and exercise them outside of that relationship with Christ, we will achieve nothing. There is an identity that we need to live in and understand that there is a spiritual authority that comes with understanding it and that shapes the way we pray and it shapes the way we exercise our spiritual gifts. The third thing I just want to say is we need to live and love like Jesus. Like, this is just a phrase I love. We need to do it like Jesus and to live and to love like him. We need to exercise spiritual authority with humility, with gentleness and with compassion. Because we exist to bring him glory. And like the early church, we do things in Jesus' name and we give him glory. Our aim is not to attract people to ourselves, right? Our aim is to draw people to Jesus Christ. Our aim is not to make a name for ourselves, but to lift high the name of Jesus. And to be aware, yeah, you're going to get different responses to this. That's okay. That's okay. Some people may be fascinated, others will oppose But there are people in your life, these people of peace we've been speaking about, that when you exercise spiritual authority, they will be drawn, not to you, but to Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, just that we would know, as we have seen the spiritual authority of Jesus Christ, that we would know our own authority in Christ. And Father, that we would live it out in a way that brings glory to you. Uh, Father, as we go into, the week, into this week, Lord, give us opportunities to do that, uh, to pray with faith, to pray with this understanding of who we are in Christ and to use the gifts that, you've been given, that have been given to us to do this as well. And Father, we do this uh, in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and we do it for your glory, that people, people would come to know you and to love you and to become disciples, those who are living and loving like Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.